بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وبه نستعين والحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين So for today I wanted to start with the general notion of religion We believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us The big question is when he created us did he expect us to start living in however way he wants us to live? Is there a specific way? Are there specific things that are expected of us to believe in and to act upon? There's should do and shouldn't do. Is it like that? Or is the expectation that one day we're old enough, we start understanding that we live in this world and we live however we feel like living. Uh, so we can believe whatever we want to believe, we can do whatever we want to do, we can like whatever we want to like, and life goes on like this until we die. The answer to these questions cannot right away be the Qur'an says. It cannot be the Holy Prophet says, because we don't know about that yet. We have to prove it first. And so that's what we're going to be doing slowly as we talk together. Because as you heard last week, people asked, why do we need a religion? Who says that our religion is right? Why are there differences even within our religion? When did they start? What was the history of these things? So we can talk about all of this, but a lot of these topics require a little bit more detail. So we can't dump everything in, in one session. So I decided, let's start from the beginning and see. So we think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us. Did he leave us to be? We don't believe that he just left us completely to ourselves. It's not a free-for-all, uh, loose to ourselves, and we do whatever we feel like doing. When we look at the animal world, we see that although the animals seem to be doing whatever they want, what they're really doing is based on instinct. What animals have are instincts. Plants, they don't even have the freedom to do anything. Whatever they do is 100% set before they follow specific laws and rules. They're alive. A lot of studies show that they feel, but they can't really decide much more than that. If they lean in a certain way, it's because they're going after more food or more light. If we look at animals, we see that they have a little bit more freedom. But the freedom, if we look at it in the animal world, we see that their freedom is really a set of instincts. Different instincts are fighting. So the animal can decide in a situation, do I fight or do I run away? Those are two instincts. The animal's not really uh, using any logic and philosophy and reason to decide what he's doing. The animal has an instinct, and whichever instinct is stronger in that moment, that's what the animal is going to do. What about the human being? The human being has everything the plants have, has everything the animals have, but more than that, they have freedom and they have a very strong intellect. This is the biggest difference. An animal will never think, should I do something? Is it the right thing to do? An animal doesn't think that way. A human being will think, is this the right thing to do? There's no right and wrong in the animal world, which in English it's called ethics. There's no ethics in the animal world. The animal performs whatever they do based on instinct. The human being also has instincts. 
But you have something that can be stronger than all your instincts if you choose to use it. If you choose to be a human being and not be only an animal. This is where the human mind comes in and you see how powerful it is. All the animal instincts, you have them. You have fear, you like the luxury, you like comfort, you like food, you like resting, all of that. Same thing as all the other animals. But you have such a powerful mind that you can override all your instincts. And you have the freedom to do so. A human being can feel all their instincts and decide with their freedom, I'm not going to do what my instincts are dictating. I'm still going to do something else. I'm still not going to do anything about it. I'm very hungry right now. I'm very thirsty right now. But I'm fasting. Therefore, I'm not going to touch the food or touch the drink. You can do that if you want to. You don't have to. Someone else, their mind is too weak, and they say, I'm going to eat. That's it. Too much for me. This is where you see, do you let the animal instinct kick in, or do you let your reason always be in control? So that's one thing. So what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us? He gave us things outside of us to help us decide and reach. We're saying, we don't think that we're supposed to do whatever. There's something that we're supposed to reach. How are we supposed to reach it? We think there are two things. He gave us two things, two kinds of things, two types of things. One of them is external to us, and the other one is internal. Externally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, first of all, has created the world in a way that forces you to think always about why is it this way, and if you think long enough, it points back to God. That's why in our religion, when we talk about anything that God created, it's called a sign. When you think about a sign, think about an arrow. Everything is an arrow pointing back to God. Anything in nature, any force, any principle, any creature in nature is pointing towards something. If you study it long enough, if you think about the way it is, it brings you back to God. So that's one thing God subhanahu wa ta'ala did by creating the world outside of us that's supposed to help us start going in the right direction. If you spend enough time, you're all alone, human being, 10,000 years ago in the middle of the desert. If you think long enough, all alone in the middle of the desert about the few things that are around you, they start pointing in a certain direction. In our very complex world today, it's even more so. <clears throat> more so. That's one. I'll come back to another thing that is external to us. Let's go internal. Internally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us instincts or a nature that knows gut feeling. It knows right and wrong. Sometimes when we live our lives, because we have so many distractions, because so, we are exposed to so many distortions, what is right and what is wrong become a little bit mixed up. But when we're born, and as we grow up, a normal human being, anywhere on earth, at any time in history, leans, likes, desires certain things that everybody agrees on. Everybody likes perfection. Everybody, everybody likes beauty. Everybody likes good. 
no two human beings on earth will disagree that I like the whatever is good and someone else say I don't like what is good. That doesn't exist. Every human being leans to it. Where they will disagree is one person will say I think this is good and someone else will say I think that is good. But they agree that they all want the good. They all want what's beautiful. They all want what's perfect. This is human nature. That's one thing that God gave us internally to us, inside of us, to lean towards Him, to, to walk towards Him in our lives. One thing. Another one, and we just talked about it, the other one is the mind. He gave us a very powerful mind, but the mind is like a muscle. Your mind can do a lot of things, but it needs practice. It needs tools. It needs someone to, to give it things that it can take and go use. And as it uses them and uses them more, the mind becomes a lot more powerful, just like a muscle. The more you train it, the more powerful it is, the better it gets. The mind is the same thing. The mind and human nature lean towards God. Those are internal aspects, dimensions, tools that God gave us. Externally, we said God gave us the whole world, which is a lot of signs. Everything in nature is a sign pointing to God. What else? God sent prophets and messengers. So all of those things that we mentioned are supposed to already move us towards God, move us towards thinking there is more to the world than just what we see. Maybe there's a specific way we're supposed to live. Maybe there are specific things we're supposed to believe in. Maybe there are specific things we're supposed to be doing and other things we're not supposed to be doing. But we're still not 100% sure of the details. This is where messengers and prophets come in. So external to us, so we spoke about what's internal. Now we're talking about what's external to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose specific special people amongst us. First of all, when someone is a messenger or a prophet, by our standards, we would say, when they're a child and we would see them, we would say they're a genius. That's to start with. Their intellects are way above the intellect of a normal human being. Secondly, they're people whose hearts, whose souls are very clean. So to start with, the people are handpicked by God because they will know how to behave as a messenger and as a prophet to start with. And people will respect them. And people will know that this, this is not someone who's, you know, who's mentally sick and who's imagining things. No, no. This is someone we all know to be extremely smart, extremely good. And one day he starts saying, I'm getting a message from God. This is a very different thing than someone who's walking in downtown Ottawa saying, God is talking to me right now. So the messengers and the prophets, they start telling their people how they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to believe, how they're supposed to act, what they're supposed to do and what they're, what they're not supposed to do. The religions that, what we call them religions, what are the religions? Religions are simply a message from God to those messengers, to those prophets, made up of two big things a system of belief, a series of beliefs. So, 
You believe that there is a God. You believe that God is only one. You believe that when you die, there is an afterlife. You believe that after you die, the afterlife can lead to a heaven or a hell. This is a system of beliefs. And you also have do and don't do. A system of actions. When you put those two things together, you have what we call a religion. That's it. That's a religion. If you have a system of belief and a system of actions that work together, that's a religion. So it doesn't need to be called Islam. You can come up with your own religion. You can use science as a religion. You can use pop culture as a religion. Human beings need a religion. No one does anything unless they believe something. You don't wash your teeth at night if you don't think, even if you don't think about it in that in moment, if you don't think that there's some good that will come out of it, you won't do it. Everything a human being does comes from a belief. When you look around you, everybody's acting. It means they believe in something. The way you live your life, your actions and your beliefs together, that's your religion. It's nothing more complicated than that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a message, a religion, to these prophets. Is it different from one prophet to another? The core of the message, the core of the religion is the same. The belief system and the action system are entirely the same. From the first prophet to the last prophet. The details change because times change. Because societies change. If we look and we think about how human beings lived 10,000 years ago and how they lived 5,000 years ago, it would be very different. And how they lived 200 years ago and how they live today, very different. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a new religion. It's not really new entirely. A lot of it is the same. Believe in God, be good. That's why when you go from one religion to another, it's the same teachings that come back. But just like here in Canada, one day the government says, yeah, we have cars, everybody can drive. This is maybe 100 years ago. Or, you know, 70, 80 years ago. Everybody can drive. After a while, they see, okay, maybe it's not a good idea to have a, you know, 12-year-old child driving. It's causing too many problems. They don't understand what's going on on the road. Let's make laws. Okay, from now on, anyone who's under 16 or under 18, you're not allowed driving. You have to be old enough. You have to be mature enough. You have to have practiced enough. You go to school. You pass a test. There, after that, you can drive. The law changed. Why? Something changed in society. It needed a new law. That's what they do. That's why every country has a parliament with people sitting thinking about what's the best law for today's society. Religion is the same thing, except that the laws don't come from people, they come from God. So after 500 years or 2,000 years, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a prophet, not because the old religion is bad, not necessarily because the old religion has been corrupted. and Maybe, maybe there are corruptions and lies and people said this is religion and when it's not, that happens. But the reality is society needs a new set of beliefs and actions for this time. So every while, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a revised version of religion to humanity. 
And sometimes he will send a religion to one group of people sitting in one place on earth. Maybe one place in Africa needs a specific religion. Allah will send them a messenger just to them. And another place, maybe somewhere in South America, Allah will send them a religion just to them. That's what they need. They're isolated. They lived 10,000 years ago. We don't know. And then we have the big world religions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses the best, strongest of his messengers for the biggest messages. So he will send Ibrahim alayhi salam, or he will send Nuh alayhi salam, or Musa alayhi salam, with a religion for all of humanity. So wherever you are, and whoever you are on earth, that's the religion for you from now on. And this was the case after Musa alayhi salam, after Isa alayhi salam, to our holy prophet. When our holy prophet came, the difference between his religion and the next ones is that he said, Allah is telling me there will no longer be any religions after this one. This one is going to be good enough until the end of times. Humanity will always be able to use this religion no matter where they live, no matter what time it is, how many years down the road, the religion, the set of beliefs and actions is going to be compatible for all time and all space, all locations. The holy prophets, all of them said when they die, they have to tell their people what's going to happen. If the Prophet dies and everything stops and you have questions, where do you go? All of the Prophets have someone, either another Prophet or someone like a successor. All the way down from the first Prophet. From Prophet Adam salam, when we read his life, he had three sons. One of his sons was called Sheath. And he was a Prophet. And he's the one who succeeded his father. So, he represents the divine message. And you go on like this all the way down to the Holy Prophet, all the way down to the Imams. And that's what we believe happened with the Prophet. When he was about to pass away and throughout his life, he always said, the day I will be gone, who do you turn to? You turn to Imam Ali. So he created a system, a belief in Imamah after Nubuwa. Today, the issue that we have is our Imam is not with us. So those people who lived with the Imam, they have no problem answering the question that we asked when we started. How are we supposed to live? When you believe that there is a God and that he sent someone as a messenger and a prophet, or there's someone who is representative of the prophet, like an Imam, you just go to them and you tell them, how, what am I supposed to do? I have this situation. I have this food. Can I eat it or not? And he'll tell you, this you can eat. This you can't eat. Easy. Right? He represents God. You're 100% sure of what you're getting. What do we do today when we do not have the Imam amongst us to go ask him? This is where we have to turn to someone who becomes an expert in religion who spends their life studying religion, not so that they come up with answers from their pocket, they don't make up the answers, they dig through the books to see what did the Prophet say, 
What does the Quran say? That we can take it out and apply it to this situation. So what they're really telling us is one of five things. So this is what we leave the lesson with today, and I will stop with that. Every situation that we live in, every moment that we spend in this life, we have to be falling into one of five states. What we're doing, what we're thinking, has to fall into one of five things. What are the five things? They are called Ahkam al-Islam. Either what we're doing is obligatory, so we have no choice but to do it, and if we don't do it, maybe God is going to punish us. Obligatory. For instance, we have to pray. Okay. Or, the opposite of that, we have to not do it. So it's a prohibition. It's illegal, if we want to use legal terms. It's illegal. It's against the law to do it. Whatever it is. We're in a situation. Is it obligatory for me to do it? I have a situation now. I have, I have some food in front of me. I have someone I have to talk to. I have something I want to buy. One of five things. Obligatory, prohibited, illegal. It's better to do it. It's better not to do it. And it's completely neutral and up to me. So right now we're sitting here. You're drinking Coke. Is it good? What? Is it good, the Coke? Yeah. Okay. So drinking Coke, where does it fall? Is it obligatory to drink Coke? Okay. Is it haram? You would be in trouble if it's haram. <laughs> Is it haram? No. Okay. Is it better to drink it? No. Is it better not to drink it? Maybe. It could be argued. Or we say it's neutral. So it's up to you, and you get to choose. You drink it or you don't drink it. Your hat, armor, under armor, you're wearing a hat. Let's see, wearing a hat, what is it? Do we have to wear a hat? Is it haram to wear a hat? Is it better to wear a hat? Could be. If it's really hot outside, it might be better to wear a hat. And we would say maybe it's even mustahab. You're protecting your head against harm. It could become mustahab. Maybe, is it better not to wear the hat? Maybe. There could be situations that might be better not to wear. In this situation, we'll say, it's neutral, completely up to you. Every situation in life has to fall into one of these five. So, when we don't know which one of the five it is, 100%, what do we do? That's when we go to the expert that we just mentioned, that's the taqlid. You go to the expert to see, in this situation, which one of the five is it? And his job, not to make up an answer, his job is to look through the books, look through the sayings of the Holy Prophet and the Imams, Look through the interpretation of the Holy Quran and tell you which one of the five you are supposed to do. That's all for today. Lesson over. Now, questions about this lesson, and then once they're over, we can talk about anything else. Uh, yes. 
Yes, so that was going to become another lecture entirely. Um, so if you need an expert in life, how do you find them? So for instance, you need someone, you find that there's a very big problem in the house you live in. And you have to completely demolish a part of it and redo it. Do you go to just anybody you find on Kijiji? No. Who do you go to? Do you go to any worker? No. If your brother here says, uh, I can do it for you, do you let him? Why? Because he's not trained. Yeah, he's, he's not, not trained. Known. Okay. And if you find five people who are trained, who are you going to choose? There's five of them. You choose oh. any one of the five? You choose the best, right? Yeah. If you have a problem medically, you have a health issue, if you want to go to a doctor, do you go to any doctor? If it's a very important problem, your eye is having a problem and they're telling you maybe, you know, you're going to stop seeing soon. you go to just any doctor? You go to a specialist, and if you can, you go to the best specialist. If they tell you there's five specialists in Ottawa. You don't go to any of them. You try to find the best of them. How do you find out who's the best? Research. Who do you ask? You go to the library and you research? What do you do? Who do you ask? Yeah, Google. <laughs> okay, what, what does Google tell you? Okay, it could be biased. Reviews. That's one. How many it. reviews? Four? Is that enough? <laughs> the more, the better. Yeah, the majority. The majority. Okay, so if everybody on Amazon says this book is the best book ever written on something, <laughs> it's probably the best book ever written on something, right? Yeah. Probably. That's one way. Another way. What do you do? You go talk to other experts. Your father is in the field. Your friend is in the field and you tell him, look, I have this really big problem. I'm, I really don't know who to go to. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Who do you recommend? They tell, oh, everybody knows. He's the best. Why do you rely on what your friend is saying? Because he's an expert. He knows that field. So when he tells you he's the expert, say, okay, I can trust him. He knows what he's talking about. He's a mechanic and I have a problem with my, with my car. And it tells you this is a really big problem. You have to go to the best. Okay, who's the best? Oh, that so-and-so. Everybody knows that. He's the only guy who can do it without any problem. So you go ask an expert. And the expert will tell you, we all know who the best is in that field. So these are the biggest ways to know who to go to. You rely on popularity. That's one way. So if the gigantic majority of people or everybody says one person, that's good enough. If you have enough experts who tell you that's the person, that's good enough. The other way is, and that's what I would personally recommend to all of you, you become an expert yourself. Because really, at the end of the day, why are you relying on someone else? You don't know what's going on in their mind. 
to tell you he's the best and he's not the best. You have to rely on their expertise. But if you were to become the expert yourself, you don't need to rely on anyone. You can go talk to the first mechanic and say, how much do you take to do this? Okay, what are you going to do exactly? Okay, thank you. You go to the next one. And you ask them the same thing and you can decide because you're an expert too. Sahih? These are the big ways to reach the person that you're going to do taqlid. And to say, okay, this is the person that I'm going to rely on to get my answers in religion. The reality today is if you go to all these very big names, big experts today, the difference between one and the other in the things that matter to us is very, very minimal. We all pray the same way. We all do the fasting the same way. We do the hajj very, in a very, very similar way. The big things that really matter in our lives, they're all the same. And so we're lucky that way as a madhab, that that helps. Yes, they may disagree on many other things. But the big things that we need in our lives, they're very, very similar from one to another. So what I just said usually applies. It's all based on logic. And that's usually what is used in any classic textbook. In fiqh, for instance, that's what they would say. These are the big answers. Yes? Uh, when we're talking about the Prophet, and uh, God chooses them, for example, they're like uh, and they're child, and they have higher intellect. So until the time that they receive the information that they will become a Prophet or a Messenger, like before that, do they, do they know that they will become that? Or... Okay, so that's a very, very good question, and it requires a lot of explaining. But generally speaking, not all, not all prophets are of the same level. So some prophets do not know, and some prophets do. The prophets who do, you can see it from their whole lives. They know that they are different. They know that they are special. But they don't necessarily know exactly what's going to happen. They don't know that they're going to be sent as a prophet to all of humanity. When we read about our Holy Prophet, we know that our Holy Prophet had angels around him since he was a child. And they would talk to him and they would take care of him. So he knows that this is a, he is in a different state than everybody else. Did he necessarily know that he is going to be the Prophet that we know today as Prophet Muhammad sent to all of humanity until the end of time? We don't have anything that says that. What we do know is he was expecting the revelation to come to him. When it happened, it was not a complete surprise. Because he's being prepared all along. It's not the case of every prophet. So not all prophets are the same. Every prophet is unique, just like people are unique. There's no rule that applies to all of them. So do they know? Some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them, Isa alayhi salam, he's, he's sent, born sent as a prophet. He spoke to people when he's, he's just born and he started talking, right? So every prophet is different. Yes? I came a bit late, I'm not sure you touched on it, but I heard you talking something about like how religion keeps getting like revived as that generation goes on. So is that in a way, like, tells us that, like, not everything about religion is, like, set in stone? Okay, so, 
What we were talking about when you came in was probably to say why, let's say when we go to Prophet Musa salam, it seems to us that he was sent with one religion. And then when we go to Prophet Isa salam, it seems that it's another religion and Prophet Muhammad is another religion. So are these, are these really very different religions or not? So what we were saying is there's a core that is the same in all religions. In the Qur'an, this core is called Al-Islam. So when the Qur'an says that the religion to God is Islam, that's what it's talking about. The core in all religions. It's the same. In the deen and Allah Al-Islam. Religion to God is Islam. But this does not mean that he's talking about our version. It is, but not in the sense that we think. The core is the same. The details change because the context changes. So the religion that a society 10,000 years ago needed is not the same as 1,000 years ago. Society changed, things were a lot more advanced, a lot more complicated. You need a lot more detail in your new religion. That's the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send a prophet with tweaks and with a revised version. Okay? Every religion that comes after is more sophisticated and more deep and more detailed than the one before. And when you read the Quran and you see how it talks about previous sacred books, that's exactly what it says. It says it contains everything and it has a lot more. So the detail and the depth and the, the sophistication and the maturity is a lot more than what was there before. The core is the same. That's that wasn't your question, but I'm saying all of this because tell me what we were saying when you came in. So now that the Holy Prophet teaches us what Islam, our Islam is, not just the core of all religions, our Islam, which the Quran calls a Sharia. Okay, not a Deen. This is a Sharia. So it's the core plus all the details. This is the one we call Islam. When we say we're Muslim, we're Muslims, we mean we follow the Sharia that has the core plus all the details. Okay. When he gave us this, did he set in stone everything in it? Or did he give us flexibilities inside? That's your question. And this is the job of the faqih. The person who becomes an expert in religion, they have to see where are those flexibilities, if there are any. So you may go to one faqih and he thinks there's a little bit more flexibility, and you may go to a faqih who thinks there's a little bit less. This is going to be the difference between one faqih and another. And of course, again, both of them are using their interpretation of the Qur'an and the hadith to reach that conclusion. So... The real answer is, yes, there is a little bit of flexibility. The flexibility, however, can be this much or this much, depending on the faqih you follow. If you go to the Sunni schools, same thing. Some schools are a lot more set in stone. And some schools are a little bit more flexible. Because everybody is using with, working with the same texts, but using different tools to interpret them. So the flexibility comes from there. I don't know if I answered. Good? Okay. 
everybody's using the orange base of it. Like, over the dozens of years and hundreds of years, doesn't it kind of get, like, shifted a little bit? Yeah, so we can't, like, um, it's difficult to explain without going through it. It's when, once you study, you see that it's not a free-for-all. Our scholars, generally speaking, in Islam, scholars are extremely rigorous. So before I give you my interpretation, I'm going to give you every single interpretation that has ever been given since the time that an interpretation has been given until today. So it will be very difficult for me to come up with something that hasn't already been said. That's one, okay? Two, when we say interpretation, we don't mean someone just sits and thinks, you know, what I feel like saying. It's not like that. If they did, it would be completely rejected by all the other scholars. They say, like, every word and every opinion that you say needs a proof. What's your proof for this interpretation? Right? So this is based on tools, and the tools are common. So everybody is working with a set of tools. If you're an expert and you're a genius expert, you may be able to add a tool. You may be able to change a tool. So that when you go and use them to interpret, you get a slightly different interpretation. So the discrepancy or the variance that you're talking about is very little. It's always going to be little. The, the changes are very minimal, but there are some. So... It never becomes a free-for-all where any interpretation goes. Like today we have people, for instance, who read the Qur'an and say, yeah, my interpretation of the Qur'an is hijab is not uh, wajib. So this is happening. There's huge books being written in the West by people, Muslims and non-Muslims, who say, hijab is not my interpretation. Who are you to have an interpretation? If you want to talk about medicine, you can't just say, my opinion is the doctors who are doing open-heart surgery using these tools, it's not the right tool to use. You're not allowed to have an opinion. Go study medicine. Make sure you understand all of this. Show the world that you are an expert in those tools. And then tell us what's the right tool to use if you have a better one. Until then, people will just laugh at your opinion. That's the problem that we have now. So when people say there's an interpretation, we have to say, what kind of interpretation? Who's saying there's an interpretation? Is it someone who hasn't studied? Someone who's not an expert, recognized authority? Otherwise, this applies. I can't just go and say, Hinduism is all wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. This is, th which Hindu expert would respect my opinion? None. This is what's happening today. They come to the Quran, they come to the life of the Holy Prophet, we tell them, this is wrong, don't rely on it. We don't care, we're still going to rely on it. That's our interpretation. You're not allowed to have an interpretation. You can, but it's just your opinion that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't carry weight. And it carries weight when the other experts respect you as an expert. Then you're allowed to give me your opinion. And I may disagree, but I'll respect you as an expert. So, yes, with time, there are changes that will happen, for sure. And that's where we have to see, as I said, the frame around it is pretty solid. There's room in there for a little bit of flexibility. This, one scholar will say it's a little bit more, and another will say less. But in the big piece, it's pretty stable. When we're talking about the mustahab thing. Mustahab, yes. Like the different ones. I was just wondering if uh, everything that's mustahab, do you get the wab for it? Or maybe it's just good for you. Wearing a hat in the sun. 
Okay, so that's that's another big good question. So if someone says that something is mustahab, does it mean that you get the wap for it or not? So because this is not a very technical and advanced course, we're just using the terms loosely. Okay. When someone says something is one of the five ahkam, you need a proof that it is. You can't just decide that something is mustahab or that something is haram or that some you can't. <laughs> This has to come from the religion. Okay? So anyone, especially, you know, people who go through Mataran, if we were closer to Shahar Ramadan, and these nights are holy nights, there's a lot of A'mal to do, Yom Arafah, Eid Al-Abha, there's a lot of A'mal to do. The scholars often use a term, I don't know if you guys have heard it or not, they say Raja' or Raja' Al-Matlubiyya. Okay? Do the Amal Raja'an. Or Raja al-Matlubi. Why do they say that? They have no proof. They have no saying from Imam al-Sadiq, from the Holy Prophet that says, this salah of two raka'at has this thawab. They don't have it. They have a ruwayah, they're not 100% sure it is or not. That's how, you know, to go back to interpretation, that's how accurate it is. He can't rely 100% that this ruwayah was said by the Prophet or the Imam. So he can't say this will be tawab. So he'll say, perform it with the hope that you will get tawab. The niyyah, raja'. You hope that you get tawab for it. The scholar will not even dare say, you will get tawab. So when you say something is mustahab, what's your proof that it's mustahab? Who said that it's mustahab? So yes, if I say the general, in our common people uh, way of speaking, we say it might... It's mustahab to do something because it's good for you. Of course, generally speaking, our religion only wants us to do things that are good for us. And it says never do anything that's bad for you. That's the general principle we take from Islam. But to say this, you get this tawab for that, and I don't have a Quranic verse, I don't have a saying of the Holy Prophet or the Imam that says what it is, I say, I hope that I get tawab for this. That's one thing. The second thing is, we have to look at the world from an ethical point of view as well, from an akhlaq point of view. And we don't do that enough. The akhlaq is more, not necessarily, is it, what does it say? Is it haram or halal? Is it black or white? Your akhlaq basically says, everything we do is a step closer to God or a step further away from God. This is a different way of looking at things. It's not about, am I getting points? Am I getting thawab? Am I going hasanat? It's, is this bringing me a little bit closer to God? Or is this bringing me a little bit further away from God? I can apply this to anything. Watching a little bit more TV. Playing a little bit more soccer. Eating a little bit more. I can apply it to anything. Studying a little bit more. Does God like this? Does it bring me a little bit closer to Him? Or... Does it bring me a little bit further away from him? Or to make it even easier for us, because it's very difficult for us to imagine God, and we'll talk about that in the next uh, lectures. I can imagine the Holy Prophet. Would the Holy Prophet be happy with it? Would the Holy Prophet be happy with the hat? I wear it. Would the Holy Prophet be happy with eating this, doing the homework, watching the TV? What about Imam al-Mahdi? Would he be happier with this? Or... 
he might think this is not the right thing to do. Would I do it if he was here? <coughs> That's, I think that has to be part of our thinking about mustahab and makruh and, and all of that too. See you next week. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibina tahirin. Allah.